Hear the whispers from within Battles to restore Ailings to relieve Feel the nature keeping us Nature healing us Flowers, leaves and rules within Hear the mind calming you Soothing you Love and kindness inside out Let the herbs from middle world heal Welcome wellness Welcome wellness it's Revealed Herbs, Middle World Herbs. Natural Wellbeing Series, where we talk about restoring and maintaining your health in safe and natural ways while incorporating both the physical and the emotional side of healing. We go live once a week on Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and every week we're talking about a different aspect of health. In today's episode, we're calling it Feel the Healthy Beat, and we're focusing on heart and cardiovascular health. And this is for a very special reason. If you didn't know, February is American Heart Month. And we'll be talking with an expert about regulating blood pressure in natural ways, heart disease risk factors, supplements, and secrets to longevity. My name is Deanne, and I will be your host today. I'm here with our special guest, Dr. Jackie Leone, a naturopathic medical doctor, board certified holistic nutritionist, and a psychology enthusiast. Hey there, welcome, welcome. And thanks for joining Hi, us for Feel the Healthy Beat. <laughs> so Dr. Jackie, as usual, would you love mind just introducing yourself and tell us a little bit of how you got on the path to naturopathic medicine? Of course. Um, okay, so I, I think that my interest in medicine started in third grade. We were meant to do a report on what we wanted to be when we grew up. And this was pre-Google, everyone, not to date myself, but we used to use little things called encyclopedias. And I can remember kind of living in the library every day after school for about a week, digging through information about things I was curious about. I really like nature and bugs and plants and how they work. And so looking into like botany and all those things. And then even in third grade, I had a very practical mindset. So I'm looking at career length and income potential <laughs> and calculating all of these different variables. And I come across, um, it first started out, believe it or not, as a nurse practitioner. I was like, I don't want to be as busy as a doctor. Even when I was eight or nine years old, I knew that doctors, my friends whose, whose parents were doctors were rarely ever home. They were always busy working. Um, so I thought, well, nurses look close. Nurses help people. Nurses make money. Nurses still do like science, you know? And I did my whole report on being a nurse practitioner. Um, and for the longest time, that's really where my love of, or interest, at least curiosity and things like science and medicine uh, and helping people using those tools to help people started. Um, and then fast forward into college about 10 years later, and I looked into the nursing program at UCF and which is my alma mater, um, University of Central Florida, Ooh, go nice. uh, and I wasn't, it just didn't get me excited you know? And so there was a lull in my life and I was like, I need to help people. How can I help people? And then that's when I got the job at the natural healing center. And if you've ever watched previous episodes, you know, that really kickstarted the whole journey. So I think the seed was planted really young. Um, I really just wanted to help people with, with science and support them. I had, you know, people when I was younger pass away, um, and learning that those things are preventative you know, um, my grandfather of heart disease when I was in my teens and things like that, which is close to today's topic. So I guess some people are just born innately, at least curious about what they're going to be great at. And that is, I think, because I've given a lot of details week after week of the older you get journey, but you know, that's just a little snippet of me when I was younger and kind of what, what really started the stir planted the seed, uh, of medicine. So there you go. <laughs> That's so cool. You knew from a young age and then I love it. Like you're doing what you're doing now, like totally fits as opposed to your original plan. But I love that. Mm -hmm. So cool. All right. Well, hello, Eva. Hi, Anne. Good to see you guys. Anyone else that's watching, feel free to comment in the comments, say hello to us. And Eva says, Dr. Jackie, she loves your hairstyle today. Oh, <laughs> so again, let's vote for that. <laughs> All right. Well, before we jump into our q and I have two really cool supplements to share with you guys. These are from Middle World Herbs. We have the berberine, which is a plant extract with a ton of benefits and also traditionally used 
for having a happy and healthy heart. And we have berberine, berberine HCL40 and berberine with bitter melon and banana leaf. So we'll be going over those and be sure to hit the follow button to stay connected if you haven't already. And then a special thanks to everyone who has followed so far. So Jackie, let's, Dr. Jackie, let's start with the big problem of heart disease in America and in the world. Um, has it always been like that? Um, it, it hasn't always been like that. And um, historically, heart disease with modern things like modern lifestyle conveniences, modern food conveniences, processed foods, um, these all have added to the heart disease uh, epidemic. And not only that, but the population is getting greater and the conveniences of that bigger population. It's just you know, is it being diagnosed more often because it's a greater group because we're bigger, we have, you know, in numbers, um, or is it something else? And so we've been really studying, looking at, is it just ratios or is it cause and effect? Uh, like diet, lifestyle and things like that. Um, and so it hasn't always been a problem, but it is definitely a problem now. I mean, somebody dies, you know, two people die a minute, usually about every 30 to 40 seconds of heart disease related issues that could be prevented. Um, we spend upwards of three or four hundred million billion, sorry with a B, uh, dollars in our country alone uh, on heart disease for people um, who, who are struggling with that. It's, it's actually the leading cause of death in our country for both men, women, and just anyone over 20 is at risk, really. So we're going to get more into that, um, you know, throughout tonight. But it, it is a big epidemic. It's a problem. Uh, we know it's a problem and, you know, we're doing our best to help educate people, at least in the medical community, you know, one person at a time as to what they can do to help take their health back into their own hands. Um, and there are, there are a couple different types, you know, of heart disease that people might be familiar with or have heard. I think the, the first one is coronary artery disease uh, or CAD, C-A-D for short. Um, that's really where the plaques formation start. And just like when we have a pipe, that has sludge around it, the water is not gonna move as smoothly through the pipe. We're gonna have lower pressure or higher pressure, require higher pressure to get the water half as far, right? Because it's fighting resistance. Um, and that's essentially what's happening in the pipes that are our blood vessels. And so we get those plaque formations known as cardi, sorry, coronary artery disease. Um, and then when that plaque loosens from the wall and blocks the hose completely or the pipe completely, um, that's known, when it happens in the heart at least, that's heart attack. And actually 20% of heart attacks are silent. People don't even know that they have them, but the damage has been done to the heart tissue um, and it's affecting their cardiovascular health and they don't even know because they're not getting regular screenings or they're not going to the, their doctor regularly. So, you know, heart disease is one of those things that we take really seriously in the medical community and are slowly but surely working to find real kind of foundational ways um, to help address the problem. And so, you know, what... <laughs> I don't know. To me, when somebody has a heart attack every 40 seconds, it's like, we really need to stop and listen. You know, we need to pay attention. We need to lean in. So those are some facts and my thoughts on the, the heart disease issue in America. It definitely hasn't always been this way. It's developed over time and it's pretty, pretty bad at this point. Yeah, really bad. Um, let's see. Eva is already asking a question and anyone who has questions, just type them in the chat. I have a whole bunch of questions, but we'll answer yours too. So Eva wants to know, how would someone know if they've had a silent heart attack? That's a good question. So you want to get regular, that's a really great question. Um, and you want to get regular screenings, right? So there are a couple different ways that we can measure the heart. And one of the most common ways that we can at the very surface, right? Each, each test, uh, whether it's imaging or functional test goes a slight layer deeper. So the first test would be something like blood pressure or pulse, right? We're going to talk about that later, but pulse is how often your heart is beating, right? When it gets too high, when we're, you know, or not too high, but a good high when we're doing cardio, right? 120, 140, when we're hanging out, doing work, thinking thoughts, 70, 80, uh, when we're sleeping, resting, or in parasympathetic, it's 60, right? Um, if it's lower than that, it's a problem. If it's higher than that, it's a problem, right? So that's pulse. And then we have blood pressure or the pressure that the system that is our cardiovascular system maintains, right? So if those are wonky, we want to dig deeper. If those are normal, keep tracking the normal, okay? Now digging deeper, if those, those are known as vitals, you know, other things like temperature or vitals as well, but as part of the vitals set, when you go to the doctor to get your vitals is blood pressure and pulse. 
So then um, the next up would be ECG. Uh, people notice EKG, ECG, it's just measuring the electricity of the heart. What's the heartbeat look like, right? And when anybody who's watched Grey's Anatomy or any other medical show knows it's the beep, beep. That's what we're looking for when we shock people back to life. That's what, you know, when, when it's going crazy all over the board and they're having ventricular contractions or something like that, you know, we, we, that's what we're looking for is, you know, your heart is not just a vascular system, like vascular with blood. It's a muscle. But the power, right, the thing running the muscle, the thing telling it when and how to beat is actually an electrical system. The SA and AV node, they're two nodes that communicate with each other and send each other electrical impulses. And so when those impulses are off, the electricity of the heart is off, which means that we can have a heart attack or our heart can stop. So EKGs are super important. If your vitals are wonky, get an EKG. What's the electrical? situation looking like now if electrical is normal you know or in conjunction with that sometimes it's an ekg plus you know and we're and plus is the test where we're going to get an angiogram we're going to look angiogram is just looking at the blood vessels um, under imaging so we can actually see how well the blood if the hose is full of blood down here and then all of a sudden the hose looks pinched and only half of that flow we know that there's a blockage we can visualize the blockage you might not feel the blockage, um, but we can see it. And so those are really the, from least invasive to most invasive, the tests that you want to get on a regular basis after, especially after a certain age, vitals every year, vitals a few times a year, you know, at least every month, if you can help it. Um, EKGs, usually screening around 35, 40 starting, and then angiograms are, are visualizing the blood flow to the heart. Uh, in within the heart, all the vessels of the heart, at least, you know, uh, 45 and older. And that's really going to help us understand uh, and, and catch early signs of the heart malfunctioning. So yeah, those are the three most common um, without getting into any more detail. <laughs> yeah. So that's really good. So, yeah, that's great. And then let's talk a little bit about how it runs its course. So we kind of know a little bit about some of the mm -hmm. results, but like, where does it start and what could happen in the body? over time before it like gets to the bad point? That's a great question. So, so we have to remember what is the heart doing? It's connected to a bunch of long hoses that go in lots of different directions, AKA arteries, right? And that, that heart muscle is the center. The thing that has to do all the work, and every time it pumps to get blood through every single hose in the body to the very end of the hose, the tips of your toes, the tips of your nose, the tips of your fingers, right? We're talking that pressure in our body, our blood pressure has to be so high, high and powerful enough to get that fluid or our blood through those hoses or our arteries, right? But so it's a pressurized system is my point. So what happens with pressurized systems? They get used. They never shut off. They're always, whether we're thinking about it or not, or aware of it or not, the heart's always doing its job. The blood pressure is always trying to stay normalized and managed. Um, and the vessel walls are muscles. So they're always trying to stay, you know, it's, they're, they're basically trying to stay uh, adaptable so they can expand when we get hot and we need to, you know, cool blood off and they need to contract when we're cold and we need to warm blood up. And the muscles of those walls, the very, one of the first signs we see um, is a little bit of rigidity to those. The vessels aren't really doing their job as well. It's like a rubber band. It's just not as rubbery, right? So instead of being able to go from here to here and back again, it's maybe losing um, its band, you know, its um, it, adaptability range, essentially. And that's usually because why? Well, the vessels are hardening. How do vessels harden? Well, when we have a diet high and cholesterol or our liver malfunctions and makes too much cholesterol um you know our body starts forming these plaques okay it it heart disease starts really quietly um and it starts with those plaques and those plaques are going to cause the pressurized system or all those hoses to have to work a little bit harder and then the heart to have to work a little bit harder to do the same job so then we start seeing slight spikes in blood pressure right? So then more plaques are laid down because maybe diet and lifestyle didn't change or the way the liver makes cholesterol didn't change. And so the body's still trying to deal with it. And the plaques continue to build and build and build. 
until a plaque is completely blocking an entire vessel. There's actually the coronary artery, um, you know, that vessel that feeds the heart blood. It's called the widow maker because that's the one that gets clogged the most often in the heart. And so we're starting with the vessels not being as elastic as they were. They're being sluggish. They're getting hardened. Why? Because the plaques. Why? Because of diet, genetics, lifestyle, right? And then what does that do? Well, the plaque increases risk of throwing a clot. And throwing a clot in the heart is known as an MI, myocardial infarction or heart attack. So that's really kind of the stages of progression of something like heart disease. Okay. And is there anything that puts one person at high risk for heart disease? Yeah. I mean, of course, pardon me. There are tons of risk factors for heart disease. So there is a small, not small, I would say moderate uh, genetic component. Um, and some people, and, and well, okay, well, why is heart disease genetic? Why would that affect the heart? It's because again, the heart disease issue, you guys, is a consequence. It's the outcome, right? The cake is the outcome of a bunch of ingredients under heat made this thing we can eat, right? So we have to think back into steps. So if heart disease is the outcome, what if we go back a step and then we go back another step and we go back another step? Well, what are all, what's happening? Where does it start? What's really causing it? We see LDL. Well, what's responsible for LDL processing, making it, breaking it down is the liver. We can definitely have genetic issues with our liver. Some people have a high tolerance for alcohol. Some people have low tolerance. Some people can't have certain medications. Their liver just can't break it down. They get an allergic reaction to certain drugs, right? So the way the liver functions inherently has a, a big proponent is genetic for sure. So we have to honor and respect that first and foremost. Now, if we're working with great genetics or I shouldn't, you know, put a qualifier of great or not great, you still have great genetics, even if your liver is a little off. But my point is, is if your genetics are not having issues, right? Then we're looking at lifestyle. We're looking at, is the diet high in LDL or that low density lipoprotein or the bad cholesterol, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, are we not exercising and moving? Do we smoke cigarettes? Do we drink alcohol? Do we have diabetes? We have to consider all of those other things that we know are always are affected, affecting our vascular system, our cardiovascular system, right? So when we look at risk factors, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you have high cholesterol, if you smoke, uh, if you're obese, right? These are all comorbidities or, or symptoms or signs that you can have that are putting you at greater risk for heart disease. But what causes obesity, everyone, what causes high blood pressure, everyone, causes high cholesterol, everyone, we kind of all know, right? In unison, diet and lifestyle for the most Food. part. Yeah, yeah. And so when we can really focus on that, that's a risk factor in and of itself. What are you choosing every day for yourself in terms of diet and lifestyle? Um, that's, that's a bigger proponent because we can actually turn on and off genes and lower our risk, even if we're genetically predisposed, if we can control our environment in which the genes function. So if we have a wonky liver, just make sure the environment is as pristine as possible, conducive to health as possible. And you probably won't even notice the genetic issue. It will never be a problem, i.e. you'll never be at high risk. But if you do have a wonky genetic issue and a crappy lifestyle and diet, you're really setting yourself up for failure when it comes to heart stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so we have Abby asking a question, but I don't know, you might know the answer. I think we might need some clarification. She just said, would this be beneficial for athletic performance? But I think, are you asking, Abby, will you clarify if you're asking about the, the supplements or something else? Because we might have talked about that, but I'm not quite sure what it is. So that that question's coming up. Abby, just let us know what you mean on that. And what then, um, yeah, uh, the supplements. Okay, so will these be good for athletic performance? Um, well, we haven't get it, gotten into the berberine yet, so stay tuned and yes, we'll get that answered for sure. For sure. All right. Well, let's talk about what, what the dietary changes. What are some things mm -hmm. that people can do to redu reduce the risk of heart disease? So I think the biggest thing that that's been studied over time is we really looked into, and when I say we, everyone, I mean like the science community. I don't have like thousands of professors all over the world that I can just like email at a drop of a hat, but like we, as in the community that is highly researched, 
likes functional medicine, lives in the science and academia and medical world. So that's what I mean by weight. So historically, over the last at least 100 years, there's been lots and lots of studies all over the world that says, hey, why do the people that live over here die a bunch from heart disease and people who live over here don't die a bunch from heart disease? What's the difference? How can we compare and contrast? And what we found time and time again, when it related to diet at least, is the Mediterranean diet. The people who live off of the Mediterranean and you know um, related areas just have the the lowest, pardon me, the lowest prevalence of heart disease. Um, and it's been shown be, a lot to have to do with the way that they eat. Um, so people who eat the Mediterranean diet are about 30 to 35 percent less likely to put themselves at risk for heart disease, which one in three chance of lowering to me that's like a no-brainer um and it's because it's rich and healthy happy fats good fats supportive fats that are going to lubricate the vessels and help keep them elastic not harden in the wall right so hdls or high density lipoprotein or good cholesterol which again we'll get to um but the olive oil the fruits the veggies the nuts the fish um, very, very, very low processed red meat in that diet because they're right off the water. So pescatarian diets, right? Um, moderate in amounts of dairy. So they're very low dairy, uh, handmaking artisan breads and, and pre-sprouted breads naturally, um, you know, versus highly bleached and processed breads. Um, and then wine, because wine has resveratrol, which is an antioxidant and been shown to help with, uh, heart protection. Um, and so all, all the variables considered the Mediterranean diet or something similar to it, um, is going to be ideal in term, in terms of a diet that's going to support healthy heart function. Nice. And the good news is it's some of the best food. So yeah. there's, it's like, yes, if you have to be on yeah. <laughs> lifestyle plan, it's the best. Um, so what about, let's talk about lifestyle, anything we yeah. can do with lifestyle. I know you talked about smoking and drinking any, anything we can do to reduce the risk of heart disease with yeah. lifestyle? So of course, and that's a great question. So when it comes to lifestyle, I think one of the biggest lifestyle things is going to be exercise. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, I'm so tired after a long day. The last thing I want to do is move my body. And I totally get it. I've been there. I have been you multiple times, but I will say after the initial small hump of getting myself going two, three times, that fourth time, it's like my body craves it because I think our bodies naturally know that movement is good for us. It's helping us. It's getting blood to where blood may have pooled or become stagnant, different organs, different muscles. When we don't move around, we don't have a heart in our leg, right? To move the blood around. And if things get stagnant, we get sore, we get achy. Our ligaments and tendons get tight and sinewy instead of flexible and malleable. And so by moving the body, by getting that blood flow there, by, by exercising those joints, we're really helping the heart out. We're supporting the heart. We're being the heart in the legs and in the arms and, you know, in other places of the body. So the body, the heart doesn't have to work as hard. We're helping it out. We're, we're being its B team, right? It's supportive. So it's like, it's the main star and we're the support cast, but that's what exercise does. Not only that, but it's actually helping the um, aerobic exercise specifically can actually help raise good uh, cholesterol and lower um, uh, hypertension, basically your blood pressure, normalize your blood pressure. It releases endorphins. It helps with pain management. It's the greatest antidepressant drug, anti-anxiety drug you can do for yourself is, is to exercise and to move your body. So just 150 to 180 minutes a week, right? Which when we look at it is two and a half to three hours over seven days. I bet people scroll that much on social media in a day, right? So that's what you need in a week. Um, studies show to help prevent and or lower your risk factor for cardiovascular disease, exercise, exercise, exercise. So Outside of exercise, I did mention smoking. A lot of people are like, well, why? Why smoking? What? That, that's a lung thing. That's not a heart thing. What oxygenizes the blood, guys? What brings oxygen to the blood that the heart pumps? It's the lungs, right? So we're damaging the lining of the arteries and where they derive oxygen when we smoke cigarettes, right? So we really want to avoid smoking or diminish smoking as much as possible to help protect the heart. Um, so between the two exercise and kicking the habit of smoking, um, right there alone, you're increasing, you know, your 
potential to prevent heart disease by 20 to 30 percent. So plus the Mediterranean diet is another 30%. So now we're like 60% less likely to develop heart disease by just doing those three things. Nice. Yeah. It's so important. Um, mm -hmm. My husband and I have a friend who we work with who actually had a widowmaker heart attack and died. Wow. And he's like probably mid forties, but I know he smoked was overweight, but not like hugely obese, but enough. And then um, I think he was, he drank a lot too, but probably wasn't exercising at all, but left behind a little like three-year-old child. Um, so it's, it's like a real, sad. it really hits home. Like it's a real thing. And I'm sure if he knew that that was his fate, he would have changed his life around, but it's like almost like it's yeah. too late. And then something so drastic happens. So uh, I'm yeah, so glad you're addressing I this topic. Thank so you. glad. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's right. what I mean by the silent but deadly, you know, um, it catches up to you and, and it's not, it's not specific to age. It had, it's blind to age. I've seen 20 year old athletes, pro athletes drop dead, unfortunately, from a heart attack, right? 45 year old quasi healthy people. Um, and, and that you brought up a good point with, you know, the live example, you've lived it. Um, alcohol, right? Well, what makes cholesterol? What breaks it down? The liver. What does alcohol do? Mess up the liver. So you obviously don't want to drink as much either. Um, and then when it comes to obesity, when our body stores fat, we have to make more blood vessels. What do you think keeps that fat alive and that new skin alive that has to house the fat? You know, what do you, what, what it's very vascular. Our body makes its own, it's new arteries, capillaries, veins, all that stuff with the more weight we put on. So the more hoses that we're making, the harder the heart has to work, right? The less hoses, the more focused the work, AKA the heart works less because there's less fat there to sustain. There's less body mass there to sustain. So for every 10 to 15 pounds overweight we are, we have to think of the network of vessels that the, the heart has to actually sustain, right? And so, you know, when people are like, well, why obesity? I don't understand what that has to do with the heart. The bigger we are, the more pressurized the system becomes, the harder the heart has to work. What do you, you think the heart is about the size of our fist? Can, do you think an organ the size of our fist can, you know, maintain something 150 pounds or 300 pounds easier, right? It's going to have to work faster and harder for the 300 pounds versus the 150 pounds. So him even just being 20 or 30 pounds overweight. You know, him smoking, him drinking, um, you know, all of these things. Maybe he had a genetic factor that we're not aware of. You know, maybe it was familial as well. So it was, unfortunately, it just sounds like the perfect storm. And I'm really sorry for your loss. Yeah, it was over a year ago. But yeah, it was really shocking for sure. Um, we've had some good questions come in. So I'll, I'll get to them. Um, one person who I just missed their name went up a little bit. I think it was Jan was saying she struggles to... Um, to digest when it's like a capsule, even if it's a veggie capsule. So Eva had a good suggestion of how she could take it, but berberine being very bitter, it's not something that's so easy that you can just like open it and just drink it. But um, if you have any suggestions, let us know. I was going to say for you, maybe I sometimes will open them and pop them in a smoothie, but my smoothies mm -hmm. are like but frozen banana and then I do like a chocolate protein powder and then um, mm -hmm. peanut butter like you really can't taste anything you put in it like it masks it so much so that would be an option. Yeah. <laughs> a really good smoothie <laughs> throw some mm -hmm. the bitter taste will be masked and I you, sometimes I'll throw some dates in there like you won't taste it um yeah. but if you have any other suggestions no, I was actually going to say that I think the most common way is to open the capsule up and toss it in a smoothie or a juice um, I personally, studies are mixed, everyone. You're going to read studies that are pro this and con that, whatever. For me, in my body, I when I'm taking something like a quercetin or like a berberine that's super powerful and I want it to do its job, um, our body can only absorb so many nutrients at one time. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to prioritize nutrition. If we're deficient in something, our body's going to focus on, let's say, a smoothie. It's going to work first to absorb the water soluble easier to absorb more deficient nutrients because it needs it more it's like yeah 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 it's here it's here it's here the nutrients that maybe we're not deficient in or we don't need as much that day or there's a ton in let's say you know when you make the nice cream smoothies with all the frozen bananas it's a lot of potassium right so maybe our body doesn't absorb everything that's in what we ate as some will get through and you know um excreted 
Um, and so for me, I don't take a multivitamin really for that reason. And I don't take, try tend to take supplements or eat foods or smoothies that have more than five to six things in them, because I really want to give my body and digestive tract the ability to absorb everything independently as best as possible. Um, but that's just a me thing. If you got, if you love, you know, like a salad with 15 toppings, fantastic. If you love a smoothie with 15 things, fantastic. You do you. Um, but so what I do, because I don't add it to a smoothie as much, if I have capsule issues, which I do with a couple supplements, I pop them open. I put them in a glass with coconut water or sometimes juice or water, something to cut the taste, especially if it is bitter. And I just slam it, you know, and, uh, and then follow it up with some water. So it just depends on the person, either one. <clears throat> I feel like if you're getting yeah. it in, it's better than not getting it in at all, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's great. I love those suggestions. Okay, so a couple more questions have come in. Abby wants to know, with berberine helping to regulate blood issues, might it help strengthen the heartbeat? Ooh, that's a great one. Contractility. So all muscles contract, right? Um, and the stronger the contraction, the stronger the muscle usually. So berberine is as far as I've studied, the alkaloid activity can increase the power of the heart because of like that, again, is an outcome of its direct mechanism of action, which is strengthening the way the vascular system works and limiting LDL. So plaques don't form. So that back and forth adaptation of expanding and contracting, the vessels are just more malleable, right? They're, they're, they just go with the flow. They're not as rigid. Um, because of the lack of LDL. And then, so in, in that sense, that's, you know, ber berberine as a secondary outcome, because that's its primary, the secondary outcome is definitely increase in heartbeat and contractility. So the muscle is stronger. And so it doesn't have to contract, you know, as hard or work as hard for the same blood pressure uh, to occur, the same amount of those hose be that, you know, all the hoses of our vascular system being filled with new blood. So yeah, that's a really great question. It, it's definitely a secondary outcome because of its mechanism of action. Berberine is so cool. Sorry. It's just, it's <laughs> when cool. I think about it, I'm like, does wow. It yeah, it really does. I love that question. That's super cool. Okay. James wants to know if you lose some extra pounds, do, do the extraneous capillaries close up again? How long does that take? Yeah, um, they do because <clears throat> once we lose adipose, adipose is fat tissue and fat is just, you know, stored calories, really stored energy. So, you know, when we're eating in a calorie deficit, let's say we need this much to stay 300 pounds and we need to lower the calorie intake by this much to be 280 pounds, right? So we start eating there and then our body gets us to 280. Well, what happened to the 20? What, where did the 20 pounds go? When people say I lost weight. Well, it happens in a couple different ways. Our body is going to utilize the fatty acids from the adipose easier and faster and better, right? Um, but it's also, you lose fat through your lungs, carbon dioxide. That's why cardio, everyone's like, do cardio to lose weight, do cardio to lose weight. Yeah, cardio works because when we expel carbon dioxide, that is part of the breakdown of adipose or, or fat utilization, right? And so we have to increase our output of carbon dioxide, lower calorie intake. Um, and over time, as our body's using that fat, it doesn't exist anymore. So those capillaries don't exist anymore, right? The breakdown of the capillary is happening at the same rate as the breakdown of the fat. Um, and so the vascular system that is feeding the fat leaves when the fat leaves essentially. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. I had no idea your lungs were ex basically expelling fat. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So when you're on the, that hard jog, you're like, this is good. <laughs> Expel that. Fat. Yeah. It really I is love that. great. Okay, Jan, Jan has another question for us. I'm just reading it now. It says I'm 63 years old, stress eater. I'm about 30 to 40 pounds overweight. Can you suggest something that will give me energy and help me stop eating to lose um, so getting to the point of being uncomfortably full. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> I was actually just having this conversation today. Um, just talking about when people reach out to me to want to create like a care dynamic, me to be their physician or their nutritional coach or consultants or whatever. Um, a lot of it is around weight loss. A lot of it is about binge eating or not being able to control, um, 
our, our diet, really. I know it's very hard. I've had issues with it myself. It's a soothing mechanism, right? Especially if we weren't taught coping mechanisms or, or self-soothing mechanisms as children and young adults, we learn to use food or, or alcohol or sex or, you know, whatever, sub, just insert thing here, right? Everybody's is different, but everybody's had one. If they don't currently have one, they have had one in the past. It's a vice. It's a, it's a thing that we lean on when we don't want to feel our feelings, right? Um, mm -hmm. Chances are, and I'm just taking a stab in the dark based on my experience with patients and myself, but you eating until it hurts is because you are more comfortable feeling physically uncomfortable than sitting with your emotional discomfort. If you can't be okay feeling unokay, you physically need to create a reason to feel crappy. And so we, we binge eat till it hurts. And then we have a reason to be in pain. Then we have a reason like, oh, our self-talk or negative. See, I told you you fail. See, I told you you were a loser. See, I told you you were fat. So it reiterates our old false beliefs. It gives us a physical sensation that we can focus on. So we don't have to experience the emotional sensation. So to me, it's not about a product. It's not about an exercise. It's not about uh, a tool or a thing. Um, it, when it comes to weight loss and binge eating, to be honest with you, it, it starts with reparenting oneself. It starts with creating small, healthy limitations and guidelines. That is a sign of self-nurturing. That is a sign of self-protection. That is a sign of self-compassion. And once, we, hey, we're gonna we're gonna drink four bottles of water today. Eat whatever you want. I don't care. We don't have to fix that today. But I care about you enough that I know water is important, and I know we struggle with that. So we're just gonna do that. We're just gonna work there. And as you start to be your own advocate, and as you start to have, it's called self-efficacy or the belief that you are even capable of changing, which a lot of us lack. Once we can start there with being mindful, how do we feel? Why, why is this uncomfortable? What's the story I keep attaching? Because emotions are physical sensations, but it's our old crappy like voices, our dad, our mom, our teachers, our exes, our people who hurt us just in the voice. You know, it's the voice back there. It's, that's what the thought is what triggers the emotional response. But if we stop thinking, Jane, I believe is who asked, Jane, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're focusing on that you don't have that you want, that you have too much of like stress that you don't want, don't go into your head, feel your body. Is your heart racing? Is your stomach nauseous? Is your head hurting? Do you feel tired? Do you just want to cry? Do you just want to throw something? Really, really peel back the layers. And the next time you feel yourself eating or, or even you ate till it hurt or any part of the process before, during, and after, if you just sit with yourself and you feel your feeling and you do that enough times, I can promise you your desire to binge eat will diminish because you no longer need comfort from food. You no longer need to distract from emotional pain and create physical pain for yourself. You can full, you can create a Jane map. I have a feeling this is my process. Everybody has to create and, and you know, do their own. My process won't work for some people and their process won't work for me. But at the end of the day, it starts with being okay, not being okay. And unfortunately that really started back when we were kids. Right. And it was just kind of supported and validated throughout life over and over and over again. And we eat to avoid that stuff, all the unhealed stuff. So I know it sounds kind of opposite or counterintuitive, but my biggest piece of advice for you, if you're seeking to lose weight is to go to counseling and get therapy to help your inner self and to develop the coping skills and the self-pacifying skills and the self-comforting skills, being your own friend, being your own cheerleader, that alone is going to be a substantial amount of the battle. Because then next time you reach for that food that used to be a comfort food or used to be a self-soothing food, you're gonna know what it's really doing long-term. You're gonna be able to stop for a moment and think, because right now it's a compulsion. It's almost a knee jerk, you can't help it, right? So we have to slow time down we have to slow down the process and that requires mindfulness. And how do we become mindful? Self-compassion and love, consistency, right? So again, I know it's maybe not the answer everybody wants because it's not a product or a thing or a cure-all, 
But honestly, out of everybody I've ever worked with to lose weight, losing weight for myself, battling binge eating and anxiety and depression, soothing with overeating myself, it really did come down to compassion, inner work and, and reparenting myself. So hopefully that helps. Oh my gosh. I said good advice. That was so good. I, I felt like I was in a therapy session and I, I really <laughs> value what you said because nobody has ever broken that down that I've ever heard about stress eating. Like it's always just like, it's a thing, but you've, I've never heard it broken down into those terms and it's so relatable. I think every mm -hmm. single one of us watching can relate to that. And um, thank you for that question too. That was very vulnerable of you to ask that. And, you know, yeah, I think we you. all got something from that answer. I know I did. I'm a stress eater too. So I need to sit with my feelings. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so thank you, Jan, for that. Um, all right, well, let's talk about our supplements now. So we have these two incredible supplements to share. We have the Middle World Berberine HCL. This is the HCL 40. And this is the one with bitter melon and banana leaf. So Dr. Jackie, berberine is considered one of the wonder herbs. And I want to know why is that? We've talked a little bit about the properties, but can you tell us a little bit more about berberine? Of course. Of course. I love berberine. I say it every time. Um, it's bitter. It's yellow. Um, it's, it's an alkaloid or sorry, alkaloid, um, that is found in plants and alkaloids are produced in plants when, um, as a self-protection. So if the berberine is meant to protect the plant from things like oxidative stress, um, or, you know, bacteria or viruses, because berberine is a great antimicrobial, um, then it's going to do that in our body. And so we found out that berberine can benefit people with heart conditions, kill bacteria, um, regulate the way the body utilizes sugar, which can help with diabetes, prediabetes, and also reduce swelling, which again, is like an anti-inflammatory action. So across the board, berberine just checks a lot of boxes in terms of it, it's, its ability to help the body. Um, berberine to me, and it makes sense when you know biochemically, which I won't go down that path right now, even though I could, cause I love it, but the heart and digestion, fats, LDL, the liver, right? You know, they're all related. They're all interrelated. So when we say like, oh, it's a miracle that does all these things, the mechanism of action and the way it works just happens to address all of those systems because all of those systems are interwoven. Okay. So in plants, that's why plants are so awesome, everyone, because the constituents or the magic ingredient inside them works biochemically you know, and does kind of all these different things. It affects all these things downwind by addressing this one step in our biochemistry, where when we, when we isolate constituents, instead of like a whole plant, like a berberine that has alkaloids, but also has other cool stuff in it. Right. Um, and we, let's say we isolate just the alkaloid and we want to do, put that in a pharmaceutical or something, all these different side effects are going to start happening. Well, why? Because all the cool supporting actors or supporting roles in that plant don't exist in the drug. The drug is just the leader, right? Like a leader's cool, but like, it's not that cool as the group, right? One instrument's cool, but it's not as cool as the quartet. It's not as cool as the jazz band or the orchestra, right? That's where music happens. That's where, you know, impacts in all the good stuff. So berberine is fantastic um, because it is it, it has that symphony with alkaloids being at the top of that list. And that's why it does so many cool things. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I want to show you guys the capsule. So this is what it looks like. It's got that really pretty, rich, beautiful, intense yellow color there. And in fact, this supplement has an unprecedented 97% purity, which is confirmed by third-party testing. So both of them are veggie capsules. You're going to get 60 per bottle. The Berberine HCL 40 is $18.99. And the one that has the bitter melon and banana leaf is $20.99. But you also get 20% off during this live. There's a little banner at the bottom. You just click that and it automatically gives you that at checkout. So that's only during the live. So make sure you get it during this live. It's a little perk we pass on to you. All right. So Dr. Jackie, I would love to take a deeper dive into the topic of cholesterol and blood pressure since berberine has been used traditionally to support those healthy levels of both. So let's start with just some of the basics. What is normal blood pressure and what's the difference between systolic and diastolic? That's a really I'm good question. Okay. No, you, 
great. You said them great. Did I say them right? Um, okay, good. Because I yeah. had to announce her earlier. Yeah. Systolic and diastolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So what we want, again, everybody who goes to the doctor, right, we get our vitals taken, blood pressure being one of them. They put the cuff on, or if you're at Walgreens or CVS, you throw your, your arm in the cuff. What the heck do the numbers mean, right? So what we're going for is top number 120, bottom number 80 or below. That's ideal. Um, anything that's like 90, 90 over 60 or less, we're looking at maybe hypotension, which is the exact opposite of hyper, hyper, a lot. Hypo, not enough. So hypotension is low blood pressure and hypertension is high blood pressure. So when we're looking at systolic, diastolic, systolic is the top, diastolic is the bottom. Okay, so systolic, I think systemic. Systolic is systemic. Systemic means what? The whole system. When we're looking at systolic blood pressure, it measures the force of the blood against the artery walls while the ventricles, which are like the two big chambers at the bottom of the heart, are squeezing and pushing blood out to the rest of the body. The right to the heart to be oxygenated, the left to the rest of the body. Fingers, nose, tips and toes, all the things. So when the ventricles contract, that systolic pressure, how much pressure does it take to contract those chambers to push blood out to where it needs to go to fill the hoses? That's the top number. Diastolic is the bottom number and it measures the force against the artery walls as the heart relaxes, the ventricles open, right? Because they just pumped and they're closed. So they're going to open and dilate and they're allowed to refill with oxygenated blood, right? So it's a period of time when your heart relaxes between beats. So we hear like lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. That like the hard dub at the end is like out the, the that's systole, right? And then the lub is the relax. It's the, it's the filling of the heart. So it's lub dub, lub dub. And so systole over diastole, um, systole to the system, just a quick review. And diastole, um, is the coronary artery to supply blood to the heart, right? So it's actually feeding the heart. Uh, is diastole. So we have a bigger number over a smaller number because we're serving the whole body at the top. We're serving the heart and passively filling on the bottom, right? So it makes sense that it's going to take more pressure to get blood to the tips of your toes from your heart. That's a long way down versus getting blood back to the body uh, in or back to the heart, pardon me, um, and for the blood supply to feed the actual heart muscle itself, very local right here. So it's going to require less pressure. So it's a smaller number right? So that's systole and diastole, systolic, diastolic, systole, diastole, however you want to call it. So both numbers are super important. Um, I, I'm not sure that there's one that's significantly more important than the other, but I will say um, that studies show there's a greater risk of stroke and heart disease with a higher systolic number or the, the bigger number at the top. Because again, that's that left ventricle is the out of four chambers of the heart guys one chamber is responsible for sending blood to the whole system again all the way down to the toes and back all the way down to the hands and back that's a long distance to travel so it's got to be nicely pressurized right so you know if the higher the the number at the top is significantly higher that means that left ventricle is working really really hard and what happens when we work a muscle real hard guys it gets bigger right if the heart gets bigger, it's called hypertrophy of the heart. The walls of the chamber get so thick that the chamber itself starts to close in, right? So if we have a chamber and this is the size of the muscle wall, that's a lot of good volume inside. But what if the, the wall were to double in thickness? That's going to close the volume. The heart has to pump faster and harder. And so that bigger systolic or top number is slightly more correlated to things like stroke uh, and cardiovascular disease, you know, um, heart attack, all that stuff. Uh, but it is somewhat marginal. But, you know, if you were to choose, that is the number that I would say would be most impactful. But we're looking for 120 over 80. Um, elevated, which I call white coat syndrome. <laughs> we're taught about it in school. People just get nervous in the doctor's office. People don't like to be poked and prodded. People are running late from traffic. People you know, whatever the reason is. And so we, we see a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm usually normal. So I don't always take the first reading as the true reading after we talk, after we relax, after I give them a cup of water or something like that, get them to really kind of lean into the process 
I'll take their vitals again and nine times out of 10, it normalizes. So elevated like is 120 to 130, right? Over 80. So systole is a little high. Um, and then when we're looking at hypertension, anywhere above 130 and above 80 is going to be like hypertension. And then from there, the gradients of hypertension just get worse. The higher the blood pressure, the worse the diagnosis, the more likely um, heart disease and heart attack risk. So yeah, that's a little bit okay. about blood pressure. No, that's so interesting. Um, that's so funny. I just yesterday, I went to the doctor and they did my blood pressure and I was like running late. So I like ran into the parking lot. And also we're coming to this question. I'm interested in your answer. I drank like a ton of cold brew <laughs> right before my appointment. Mm -hmm. Get in there. And I always, whenever they cuff me, I'm always like in my head about it. I'm like, oh, am I going to have some weird number? And so she did it and it was like 140. And she goes, oh, do you have high blood pressure? And I was like, no, actually I don't. And so then she just had me like stand up and like redid it. And then it was 120 over. So totally yeah. what you said of like, don't take the first reading. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was like case in point of what you're talking about. And then um, one other time as a news reporter, I was doing a story about strokes and I was like doing the cuff lot, um, not live, it was recorded, but I kept messing up. So I had to do it like three times. And by the third time, the nurse was like, stop, your blood pressure is so high. And I was like, yeah, good to know. So I was like, if we like wore one all day, what it would show us would be crazy. So yeah, it was really yeah. interesting. It's also the more you test and the more you're pinching off the vessel to open the vessel, to pinch off the vessel, to open the vessel. So you don't want to do too many measurements on the same arm because that can affect blood pressure as well. Uh, that's why, you know, good nurses and doctors will switch arms every second to third reading because they know it'll be a false oh, reading. Yeah. Also yeah. people who have shoulder injuries or who have neck injuries, discs blown, fusion of discs. Think about it. Our biggest vessels come down our neck, down our arm, and we're reading the blood pressure from this, this vessel. So if this vessel upwind is a little pinched, prodded, poked, damaged from trauma, pain issues, this reading on the left will be very different than the right. So it's the average of the two. Okay. So, you know, keep that in mind as well. My mom is like that. She's had a lot of, of uh, physical damage to her neck and her head, like lots of lots of blows mm -hmm. to the head. So on her right side, her blood pressure is significantly different to her left. So we have to do the average of, of the both, you know, when, whenever she gets a reading, because neither one is quite accurate. <clears throat> so yeah, that's just a word to the wise to anybody else who might be suffering from that or notice that issue. It's normal if that's your medical history to have different blood pressure for different arms. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And real quick, you don't have to do the story, but what do you mean your mom has had major blows to the head issue? What happened? Um, she's okay. It's just, um, long history of domestic abuse. So just, oh. you know, it was kind of a, a regular incidence. Um, and, and, you oh. know, in, in the eighties, when it occurred at its height, the eighties and nineties, there weren't like, uh, at least where we were raised a lot of rules or laws about that stuff. And like, we were in an underserved community. And so we didn't have the resources medically for her to go to the doctor every single time. And then if she did the suspicion and CPS, and so they wanted to avoid that whole issue. So it was just underdiagnosed. She just never got treated for the chronic, you know, brain trauma she was getting and neck and, and head trauma. And so now it's affected her long-term. Yeah. And that's part of like, you know, when we talked about cognition and I was super excited about mental stuff and, and dementia, like that's why it's so close to my heart. Um, is because, you know, I, people I love are suffering. So anyhow, we got, we got derailed, Yeah, but we, got, we won't go through that, but big yeah, hug yeah. to your mom. Wow. That's like, yeah, that's, she's, that's she's a intense. trooper, but yeah, yeah I mean, and actually so, professional trauma, you know, boxers, that's a thing, mm -hmm. football players, right? Anybody yeah. who's had constant concussions or blows to the head. Um, it, it really can affect a lot of things and heart and vascular health is one of them for sure. Yeah. Well, getting back to the berberine, Eva put the coolest testimonial in the comments that last summer she did three months of it and she wanted it to help with her cholesterol and elevated blood pressure. And not only did her labs improve, but she lost 10 pounds without even trying. So that's like the coolest testimonial. Go Eva. That's amazing. Um, that, like, yeah, if that doesn't make you want to get this, I don't know what would. <laughs> and that totally aligns with what studies show. You know, we, we look at eight weeks and 12 weeks, um, and a lot of studies for berberine, especially like, so that's great that she gave it that, that amount of time. I think a lot of people, especially in America are like, well, it didn't work after a week, so I'm not taking it. 
But studies, especially with herbs, and Eva's a testament, it takes two to three, four months before we notice objective feedback. But that is the sweet spot. Eight to 12 weeks is where we notice a significant lowering of LDL or the bad cholesterol um, that has been known to, sh to cause plaques and add to heart disease. So that's awesome, Eva. Heck yeah. Yay. I know. That's so awesome. Okay. Well, we only have like five, five to 10 minutes left. So let's kind of go through a power round of questions. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and in case we don't get too much time, I know this is a popular question. It's how does someone choose whether they want to get the berberine HCL 40 or the one that that's this one or the one that has the bitter melon and banana leaf? Okay, that's a great question. So if you have heart issues, if you have hypertension, if you have high cholesterol, if you are always getting infections, right? That's a sign that berberine could be helpful for you. Now, if you have all of that and you have diabetes, pre-diabetes pre or diabetes type two, that's when that bitter melon is gonna come in and potentiate, AKA make berberine work better. So if, if it's on the heart side of things, heart weight, GI stuff, that's berberine alone. If it's all that stuff or some of that stuff, plus the blood sugar issues, plus the blood sugar management for me personally and professionally, that's when I would, that's how I would kind of, if I was at the fork in the road, that's how I decide. Okay. Awesome. What are the three things you want people to like leave this show with? If they have to leave with three things and we're talking oh, about so, so much. Hard. I'm so ready for the quick fire 10 questions. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get to that. I'm, I'm moving through. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just so excited about it. Uh, cause I was like, Ooh, this we'll is get a cool idea. Okay. Three things. Um, screening, 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 uh, Mediterranean diet or as close to it as possible and just move your body guys. All right. Okay. Let's see if I can get to our top 10 things. Hold on. I have to let's scroll my thing. Oh, I got there. Okay. Here we go. So this is for you, Dr. Jackie, but also everyone watching, just put true or false in the comments as we go. Okay. So I'll ask a question and you just type in true or false and then she'll tell us the answer. Okay. Number one, um, we did that one already. High blood pressure is 140 over 90. So we can skip that one. We already know that. Okay. But number two. Oh, it's okay. False. Well, maybe it's I'm wrong. 130, 130, 130, yeah, 130 over like in the, in the 80s is where hypertension okay. type one, hypertension type two, 140 over 90. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Okay, so I kind of screwed that one up. Okay, number two, yeah. <laughs> the signs of high blood pressure are obvious, true or false. So everyone put your answer in the chat. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, false. Okay, why? Yeah. yeah. It's silent but deadly. High blood pressure. Uh, people can think that they're just anxious. People can think that they had too much coffee. Um, it's it's kind of the sniper, you know. Um, high blood pressure alone, if we're not monitoring it regularly, it's one of those things that just pops up one day or seems like it pops up. But it's been that way for much longer than what we are aware of. So no, it's not obvious at all. Okay, awesome. I'm just scrolling back through people's questions, seeing if I missed anything because I had it. All right, cool. You guys are answering. Nice. Okay. Number three, heart attacks don't happen to people who are active. True or false? Type it in. Guys. Type it in. Everyone's going with false. Yes, it is false. The cause of sudden cardiac arrest, which happens all the time to very fit people, that is the arrhythmia or when the heart electricity is off. Remember how I said EKGs member electricity or measure electricity? So it's a different reason sometimes why active people have heart attacks, but heart attacks do happen in active people. Okay. Jan wants to know how long does it take to feel the effects of berberine? Uh, well, to feel the effects are subjective. That means it's your, you might take two weeks. Somebody else might take two months, but objectively where we see labs change and the liver function change is around eight weeks when it starts. Um, peaking between week 12 to 20. So how good you feel associated to that could be sooner, could be later. Uh, it just, it's biodiversity depends on the person. Okay. Awesome. All right. Number four, drinking coffee can raise my blood pressure. So uh, I'm in the vote of true, but I might be wrong on that. So what do you, what's the answer there? The answer False. is absolutely true. Absolutely oh, true. Okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> take your blood pressure in like, the morning and then have a cup of coffee and take it again. 
Tell me what the change Yeah, is, I literally right? chugged cold brew and that's all I had before. And I was yeah. wearing a sweatshirt that said coffee. So I was like hot mess. You were feeling <laughs> the coffee vibes. Fully committed to the coffee vibes. So yeah, caffeine does cause a short dramatic increase in blood pressure, even if you don't have high blood pressure, uh, medically speaking. Um, that's why we can get jittery. That's why we can create more anxiety. That's why we can have palpitations with too much caffeine. Um, to be honest with you, the cause or mechanism of action, there's a couple different theories out there, but the blood pressure response to caffeine can differ person to person as well, um, depending on how sensitive you are. Somebody who doesn't have a lot, half a cup could do what three cups would take in somebody who has coffee daily. So it's also a tolerance issue, but yes, short answer, true. Does increase it. All right. That's that's a good one. All right, number five, signs of a heart attack are sudden and intense. True or false? Right, false. People answer that. I'm going to go false. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going fast because of time. But no, actually, you got to go fast. Attacks, yeah, don't yeah, even I wait. Know. Just go. <laughs> one in five heart attacks are what are called silent heart attacks. The people don't even know. Sometimes it can happen in their sleep. Uh, sometimes they think it's a panic attack uh, and then it resolves. Um, people are just not even aware. So the damage is done to the heart. The damage is done to the arteries. There are there's there could be small amounts of tissue death. There could be small amounts of blockage, um, you know, that got worse. But they're not aware. Um, you know, I had a friend of the family. She's like a mother to me who went. She was having like a little bit of chest pain, and she had an 88% blockage in her coronary artery, and they had to stint her immediately. Super healthy woman, but genetically, her cholesterol issues. Anyhow. My point being is she just had a little bit of chest pain because she couldn't go up the stairs as easy. So that's not screaming. That's not my left arm is numb. That's not I need to fall over and die, right? That is just like, oh, I'm a little winded and my chest is a little tight. Maybe I should go to the doctor. So no, definitely not. That Really be very keenly aware and get those screenings. That's why screenings are so important. Yes. Okay. So don't need to worry about blood pressure if I'm young. True or false? False. Even if you're a young adult, you're not too young to be affected by high blood pressure. Almost half of young adults over the age of 20 have elevated or high blood pressure. So even if they appear totally healthy. And there's nothing I can do if it runs in my family. True or false? False. false. <laughs> Lots of things you could do. Yeah, we talked about it, right? So genetics are like sw are mm -hmm. switches. They can be turned on, they can be turned off, flipped on, fl flipped off. And it all has to do with the environment. Create a really awesome environment right. for the gene to function. It's going to function better. It's going to help you out more. So there's definitely lots of things we can do. All right. Three more. Fire round. Stroke is something that happens to my heart. True or false? False. A stroke. So anytime a plaque in an artery gets thrown and blocks something, the name changes based on where it's at. In the brain, it's a stroke. In the heart, it's an MI, myocardial infarction or heart attack. In the lungs, it's a pulmonary embolism. In your arm, and your leg, it's a trans ischemic attack. Different names for the same thing that's happening. A plaque clogs the hose, right? But where it's located is what gives it, gives it its name. And number nine, women are not likely to have a stroke. True or false? False. Stroke has greater effect on women than men. They're just as likely to have them. Um, but we live longer, guys. So if we live longer and we're older, that's when all those effects, the stroke, the heart attack, all that stuff happens. Um, the, the older you get, the, the higher risk you have. So if we live longer, we're more likely to get them and they can cause more permanent damage. It's harder for us to recover from them. So absolutely not. Women are, you know, it's very false. <laughs> all right, sorry, number 10. All right, number 10. Um, if stroke symptoms go away, there's nothing to worry about, true or false? Come on, false, right? Um, so it's good that the stroke symptoms went away. That's a fantastic sign that your body adapted and grew new neurons, did what it needed to do. But sometimes stroke symptoms can go away, but the per and person seem nor seems normal, pardon me, um, but the damage again is still there. Like that tissue in the brain um, usually can't bounce back fully. So you'll retain, you know, you'll be able to have your memory back, but it's not as sharp, it's not as good. Um, and so, it, it can resolve significantly, but it will never go back to 100%. The damage, once it's done, stroke in the brain, uh, MI or, or heart attack in the heart, the damage is done. All right, we did it. We made it all the way through. Um, also, I want to just give a shout out to our active chat group today. So shout out to Abby, to Jan, to James, to Eva, and to Anne. You guys all made this a lot of fun. And I love the, the feedback is that 
Let's see, Abby said, I love the show. So thank you for that. And just tell your friends about it because we want to keep growing it. So tell everyone you know to watch it and tune in. And we will be back next week. We may be on a different time, but we will we'll keep it updated. So that's why you want to hit that follow button so that you always know when we're going to be live. So, yeah, such a good episode. Dr. Jackie, you always have the best information, um, mm -hmm. the best information. Make sure you guys get these at 20% off while you can. And if there's anything else you want to say, go for it. I just want to say thanks. I really love doing these every week. It's a, it's a highlight of my week. I love how interactive everyone was today. And I just sincerely appreciate everybody's time and energy and sharing themselves with me here today. So thank you. Yay. All right, everyone have a fabulous rest of your night and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Hear the whispers from within, battles to restore, ailings to relieve. Feel the nature keeping us, nature healing us, flowers, leaves, and rose within. Hear the mind calming you, soothing you, love and kindness inside out. Let the herbs from middle world heal, welcome wellness, welcome wellness. It's Revealed Herbs, Middle World Herbs.